everyone. Welcome to the Cosmic Matrix podcast with Laura Matsu and Bernhard Gunther. Um, today's topic is going to be one that I'm sure many of you can relate to. It's about the ascend and descend and using our own suffering as a catalyst for awakening. And just to begin the podcast, we're going to start with a little reflection from Satprem, who is one of Sri Aurobindo's students, and he has his own take on this this idea. So Bernhard will read it. Yes, I'll quote Satprem. That's actually from a book I can highly recommend whoever wants to get into Sri Aurobindo's teachings uh, of integral yoga. It's called Sri Aurobindo or the Advent of Consciousness, written by Satprem. And the quote goes as follows. The higher one rises, the farther one is pulled down. Evolution does not move higher and higher into an ever more heavenly heaven, but deeper and deeper. Each evolutionary cycle closes a little lower, a little nearer to the center, where the supreme high and low, heaven and earth, will finally meet. The more light the seeker possesses, the more, dark, the more darkness he or she uncovers. And that also goes together with a quote by Sri Aurobindo himself, who said, no one can reach heaven who has not passed through hell. And that actually also relates to a famous quote by Carl Jung, yeah, it, I believe. It, it almost makes me wonder, because you know how like everybody misappropriates quotes, especially from Carl Jung? So maybe the no tree, as it is said, can grow to heaven unless its roots reach down to hell, who even knows at this point if Carl Jung actually said that? I'll believe yes. it when I actually see it in his book. Yeah. Because I know, I've actually looked up certain quotes from him, certain famous quotes by him too. And I found, oh my God, like people just completely changed the wording. Kind of the general feel of the quote was still there. But yeah, that's that's an interesting... Uh, yeah. I mean, it's also just very common knowledge, I feel, in spirituality. is like the further you go down, the higher you can go up. So... Um, yeah, let's just get right into it. So I know that for you and for many people, I'm sorry if I'm laughing, it's just because it's, it's so cliche, but like suffering, as the Buddhists say, is an essence of life. And I know that for you, they've been a huge teaching function. So maybe you can just kind of uh, reflect back on your own personal experiences growing up and how your own sensitivities have opened you up to these experiences. Yeah, just to maybe share a bit and summarize a bit about my own journey. And it ties into one of the one of the questions I've, I'm being asked the most, even in interviews and other podcasts I'm guests of. And people always ask me, how did I get into the work? I do. Why did I get interested in these topics I write about and all of that? And I have a very simple answer in one word. It was suffering, right? Just on the very basic level, start already in childhood in the sense of literally not fitting in, feeling alone, not being able to relate to other people, having a very rich emotional life, being very sensitive, not being able to handle it because this is not what we are, you're being taught in school. It always felt like an outsider. And, um, it was not after, even high school, I didn't know, know what to do with my life. I went to University of Munich for a short period. But it was not until I found an, a creative outlet, an outlet in the forms of playing the drums and making music when I really had an epiphany, and experience with something higher, something like almost a quote-unquote lightning experience is that there must be, you know, something like God or something that is transcends all the suffering, all the, um, you know, the thoughts I have in my mind, uh, the judgments and um, just the, the despair and depression I was feeling. So, you know, as uh, maybe some listeners know, I went, came to the U.S., Los Angeles at the age of 22 to study drums and percussion. And really that, looking back, became my spiritual practice to play drums, right? It was like shadow work. It was really the heavy, dark music and processing a lot of anger, frustration and all of that. But within that, you know, helped me on many levels, but I still felt it, more and more stuff was coming up for me, right? It was like a downward spiral and even, you know, three, four years uh, living into living as a musician in Los Angeles, I was dealing with extreme depression and despair and even suicidal thoughts were kicking in. I never attempted suicide. Well, maybe unconsciously because I got into pretty heavy drugs and... um 
you know there was also a devilish behind it so to speak um but in my journey you know it just pulled me down so low and again felt so lonely and i remember this one day i had a day job like every musician back in those days or at the beginning of one's musical quote-unquote career and you know just paying living by from month to month and just you know trying to make it as a musician and whatnot and one day i woke up in my bed i had to go to work but i was in such a despair and depression i was laying in fetal position i started to cry i didn't know what to do i feel like you know i was really paralyzed by by the suffering and this existential loneliness and not knowing what to do with my life you know um and in that moment i just surrendered to this to this feeling instead of fighting it i surrendered to it and i heard this voice in my head you must you know you need to figure yourself out and otherwise you will die otherwise i will kill myself and that snapped me kind of out of it and then i remember clearly i went to that to a book, random bookstore right and there was this book laying out on the bookshelf it was um called freedom from the gnome by krishnamurti and uh I was very drawn to it. It was almost there for me to purchase. And reading this book really, um, you know, was an initiation in itself into deeper spirituality and spiritual philosophy and all of that. Um, and, you know, it was my started to, you know, I need to understand myself. Who am I? The ultimate question, right? And, you know, so <clears throat> not to go too long into it, it has been intense <clears throat> excuse me, intense phase of searching, of seeking, of uh, studying spiritual literature, of, of reading psychology, got me into Jungian psychology and all of that. I got into esoteric teachings, more into the fringe as well, um, occult knowledge and all of that in effort to understand myself, right? And at the beginning, like I had more an intellectual understanding of a lot of the concepts, even intellectual understanding of my issues, basic childhood wounding. But I realized it was still... I was fooling myself later on because my body hasn't processed it. I was not embodying the knowledge. I was going, not going through the process on an embodied level, right? Um, and I was, you know, I had realized a lot of unconscious self-defeating beliefs I had. For example, one day I clearly remember I realized I had this belief that I don't deserve to be happy. That if something good happened or some in my life, then right away the program came in, this cannot last, I don't deserve that, and all of that, based on my guilt and shame programming. So all this stuff came up. Um, but then I also realized then with basic mainstream psychology, um, it didn't really resolve, because I realized in the quote-unquote mainstream, depression is almost seen as a mental illness, like something is wrong with you, right? You should be happy, take that pill, antidepressant. I never went on antidepressants, but... That's most often how, how it is treated in in the psychiatric institutions, right? Um, and then I also, by questioning not only my, myself, but the external world, I realized that we live in the world, especially the modern world, which we're so proud of, is completely, you know, with all the technological advances and whatnot and luxuries we enjoy, is completely removed from nature and spirit. And I realized deep inside that my depression or depression in any way, it's actually a cry from the soul for readjustment. And then, you know, going back to Krishnamurti, this quote really stuck for me from that book where he said, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And I feel that is what a lot of people are trying to do. Um, they adjust to a world, to the matrix that is completely pathological, where pathology has become normalized, and then eventually they they suffer, you know, because there's a friction between what their true self connected to the divine truly is here to do and wants to experience as opposed to the outer shell with all the conditioning and wounding. And then over time, we can also numb ourselves, right? And, you know, lose ourselves on, on this path, so to speak, not losing, but, you know, making it hard on ourselves than it has to be. Because, again, going back to this quote by Satram and Sri Aurobindo, I just realized that the awakening process is this twofold process. You know, you have to dive down into the underworld to be dismembered, the shamanic descent into hell to battle demons within and without in order to rise higher. And it keeps going over and over again. It's like up and down, up and down. It's like this awakening process. It's not like we, uh, I once thought, 
in my romantic wishful thinking, like the new age maybe tries to convey your pop spirituality, this linear road up to more love and light and heaven. But literally, you know, it's a descent into hell and you can rise only as high as low you have gone in your life. And it comes in cycles and cycles. Yeah, uh, I can definitely relate to that part about wanting to buffer it up with antidepressants because I did take that route. Um, I I think it was around age 14, I went to go see a therapist who suggested I go on antidepressants. And that was very interesting because like I was, you know, I was actually just really sad I think mostly because of unresolved trauma from my childhood and then also just being in the world. I remember being almost like shamed and laughed at for how sensitive I was. And I just found the world to be the opposite on how I wanted uh, and how I felt it should be in, in a weird way. I felt that there was a, all this unnecessary pain to it. So eventually it got to the point where I, I think my depression became very visible to my family and they sent me to... A therapist who automatically prescribed me antidepressants. And funnily, I actually had a lot of resistance to it. I would go on it, but I would recognize that they wouldn't, they didn't work or either they didn't work as fast enough as I wanted, I wanted them to. So then I decided to self-medicate by just taking a variety of illicit drugs. And because I didn't really want to feel my suffering, that was really my, my whole goal. I really realized that I had this immense amount of pain that was coming up in my body and I didn't want to actually be present with it because it was too, I felt it was too painful at the time. So I just took a, you know, I just ran through the gamut of different drug addictions in order to buffer up my feelings and desensitize myself, essentially. Looking back when I realized like I was, I think like dealing with multiple kinds of drug addiction for a good 10 years, the main reason that I got addicted was because because I didn't want to feel suffering. That was the main thing because, and if, if only I just, you know, went to a therapist and instead of, it was always a mental process with the therapist and that didn't help. What I really needed was just to be present with those feelings and develop that spiritual strength to be present with my suffering. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's also similar to what you said, like the ascend and descend. I know for myself, like I've, you know, I'm, sh I know people have had it definitely worse than I have, but I, I mean, I ended up in a detox center with like pr prostitutes who had been sold to their, by their mother into, into prostitution at age 12. Like I realized that like kind of my lowest moment, like I was surrounded by the depths of human suffering and really witnessed it in myself and in other people. And so, but there was also, it was weird. A voice in me said at that moment, like, uh, you need to experience this so you, then you can really see like what humanity is dealing with. And at that point, actually, I didn't really, I, I thought it was almost like my sick, like kind of masochistic pleasure or something, which I'll also get into later. But I, but I really realized that it's almost like I feel like there was a bigger soul lesson that I was becoming aware of that I really needed to experience these depths of the suffering that people go through um, in my own journey. And then also just acknowledging later on and being able to feel and be present with my own suffering was really opened me up to deeper compassion for the suffering of others, which opened me up to being able to truly be of service to other people. Because until I actually learned to hold space for myself and like those difficult and dark feelings and really process grief and like, anger and and all sorts of different you know shame and guilt um there's no way i would be able to hold space for others who are going through that because i feel like unless we're really willing to sit with those feelings ourselves like how would it even be possible for us to demonstrate compassion for anyone who's going through it and it's interesting too because the norm of like this world is to is to basically pretend to be happy all the time. Like, especially in Western culture, I find like, you know, I'm from Canada, so it's a little bit extreme there, but it's like this fake niceness and always pretend to be happy. And if you're not happy, then it's like, oh, what's wrong with you? Is something wrong with you? And I think there's a little bit less of a stigma around depression now because there's been a little bit of a, a I guess, like a social justice campaign around mental illness. So, you know, it's coming more out in the open, but generally... And like, you know, we can intellectualize and be like, yes, it's okay if you're depressed. But I mean, have you really like, 
dealt with somebody who has like severe depression because you really have to be an anchor unto yourself in order to hold space for those kinds of people. It's definitely not easy or holding space for someone who's going through intense loss or grief, which I think is like, that's the kind of suffering that really kind of cuts you down to what's important in life. Like anyone who's experienced a tremendous loss of somebody who's important to them, that's when like, that's the unavoidable suffering when you're faced with death and when you're faced with the impermeance of life and there's nothing you can do at that point but surrender to what is because you can't change death. So... Yeah, so maybe we can also, you know, you can talk more about how you've how how did you use your own suffering and how did you catalyze that into healing? Because I know for a lot of people, um, you know, they're feeling a lot of suffering, but especially now since we have these smartphones, it's so easy to distract yourself and not and not deal with it. And I think that when we distract ourselves and not deal with our suffering it can manifest as a low level, either disconnection from your world or anxiety. So how do you actually make even, I mean, through your process and on a day-to-day basis, catalyze your suffering into deeper healing? So how do you ascend from the descent? Yes. <laughs> um, well, you're right. I mean, most people, like, it's naturally, we all, like, on to varying levels, you know, it's the eternal pursuit of pleasure and avoidance of pain nobody wants to feel pain and nobody wants to suffer right consciously in a sense and you're right it has been you see it also in our western culture especially in the u.s especially on the west coast (laughs) in a sense these this pretense persona this fakeness of just like always pretending to be happy and i'm doing great how are you i'm great (laughs) you know and all of that and you know and like it ties into more what i call the disease of comparison of being very concerned what other people think of us And ironically, in the sense from a spiritual, esoteric, even psychological perspective, the avoidance of suffering and avoidance of pain and avoidance of this feeling creates actually more of it. It just gets, um, you know, compartmentalized or stuck into the unconscious, the shadow, as Carl Jung may, um, you know, name it. Uh, But eventually it has to come out in some way and whatever we don't feel and then process whatever we have experienced in our lives you know, uh, will can even come up later in life in disease or illness, right? So it's really important, whatever it is, to feel these emotions we are afraid of feeling. You know, when guilt or shame comes up, not to, or whatever the emotion may be, which we label it's negative, grief, you know, loneliness, sadness, even anger and what whatnot, we try to escape them through distraction. A lot of distraction become addictions, right? Any addiction is really an avoidance of feeling what is. It's 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 uh, trying to escape our wounding and trauma. And as we all know, there's way more to addiction than just drugs and alcohol. As you said, now, especially in this day and age, where everybody's quote-unquote addicted to various degrees to the cell phone, social media, the internet, Netflix, whatever, keeps us even head-centric, keeps us disconnected from our bodies and our emotions, Right. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And and for me too, um, meditation has really helped me. In, I, I mean, I still act compulsively at the same time, but meditation has also really helped me develop a level of sensitivity. So now when I'm, I mean, when I'm really suffering, not that kind of low level pain that you can experience throughout the day, I feel, which is also kind of normal for a pretty sensitive person. But when I'm really going through something and when I try, like, there's no way at this point that I can just go on social media or watch a movie because I know that it's just the buffering doesn't even work at a certain point. But for many people who don't get into that practice, it's also like you have to retrain your brain that when you're feeling this pain, you have to feel it. Because I think so many people have this very automatic Pavlovian reaction when they're feeling any sort of pain or discomfort. It's natural. And they don't even realize that they're suffering at a certain point because they're so used to almost like dancing around it as well. So is there any like, like you know, kind of... Pra- practice you have whenever like some intense feelings come up like what do you do with them yeah for me it's simply that just happened recently you know um some usually i feel it as a physical sensation in my body and mostly like uh, most often it's around my chest right you may call it the heart chakra the chest is just something it's the condensed something is blocked there or most often my solar plexus you know i feel just some uneasiness right something even nauseous a bit nauseous 
So it, it manifests more as a physical feeling of uneasiness, discomfort in my body. So in the past, I would just like try to avoid it, maybe smoke a joint, go on Facebook, whatever, you know, just distract myself, watch YouTube, whatever. But now when I feel it, I really, I'm just sitting with it. And I'm really literally just similar, basic meditation, just closing my eyes and feeling body scanning, feeling the emotion, uh, not the emotion, the physical sensation in my body without trying to analyze it, without judging it, without even trying to change it, but just putting the awareness on it to really feel what is, you know, not what it, but just putting consciousness on it, shining the light into darkness, so to speak. And as I do this, something starts to shift and I start to experience certain emotions, certain feelings come up. You know, there's a feeling like, for example, recently, like just this sadness and underneath it's this loneliness, you know, almost like existential loneliness. And all of a sudden these negative thought projections come into my mind, self-judgment and all of that. And then as I, you know, allow this feeling, physical sensation feeling just to expand more then all of a sudden something happens and I, you know, I start, I started crying as you witnessed as well. It just might, you know, tears come up in my eyes and I just, this, this release of crying just helped me to transmute that emotion just to feel it, right? To let it out is such a, you know, such a, actually, ironically, a positive experience when you fully are able to express that emotion. And I'm not even trying to analyze why, is, what is it related to, what story it might, could be a million and one things. I don't know, back to my childhood wounding, could be back to related to a past life, whatever, something happened today, maybe, you know, that triggered it. But I'm not trying to analyze it. I just want to feel the emotion, an emotion that I usually avoid feeling, and most people avoid feeling. And you know, by feeling what we actually are afraid of the most and what we try to neglect, that's how we heal it, transmute it and, and truly work through. And on the, on the other side of the point of the equation, what I also realized, um, addiction and avoidance of pain or suffering is based on fear. You know, something uh, bad may happen or the fear of feeling this emotion, but that having that fear of feeling it is actually way worse than feeling the emotion itself. Mm -hmm. I used to, I made a joke and sometimes like, I forget, it was like a couple years into my journey about like how like being a bit of a masochist actually works well for the spiritual path because it's like you can kind of like embrace the suffering. And I think at one point I, I, I was wondering if I was almost like dwelling too much in it, but I changed my opinion later on that, which we can get into um, which is really about just embracing it as essential part of the path. But I've actually, I remember also very early on, I think it was in like 2013, I was talking to somebody who had a lot of buffers up, I'll have to admit. And they remember telling me like, I never get anxious, I never get depressed. But the interesting thing about them was, is like when you scratch them a little bit, meaning when you trigger them a little bit, like they would rage and all sorts of stuff would blow blow up. And that made me obviously question whether or not they were truly telling the truth, whether they actually didn't get depressed or suffer, or they had just buffered it up to the point they were in complete denial. So what do you think about that? Um, are there people, can you avoid suffering is one, which I personally think, yes, you can avoid some suffering and, um, meaning unnecessary suffering. Uh, and are there people who just don't suffer, like who have it easy in life and just somehow skip that part? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think everyone suffers, not everyone, but most people suffer to varying degrees. But what I also realized a lot of people suffer, but they don't know that they are suffering is what you just alluded to. I feel when a lot of people mm. you build have too many addictions, avoidance technique, avoidance techniques, and it builds how it is even said Gurdjieff talked about in his work of building buffers, armor, right? Really protective mechanisms that uh, keep you from avoiding, avoid, uh, keep you from feeling, avoiding certain feelings and even keeps you in your head, keeps you disconnected from your body. And I see this as a, as a body worker, like so many people, you know, sometimes come on my table and they say, oh, I feel great, actually, it's fine, just some tension here, but the whole body is just, it's just armored and it's really hard, you know, to, to even loosen up the muscles because all the body holds so much of our emotions. Our body is literally our walking biography, right? There's a lot of memory emotions stored in, uh, literally in our muscles, in the bones, in our tissue, 
right? We carry so much of our past with us. Yeah, I even still notice that on the daily basis. Like the other day, I went into a yoga class, and it was a heated yoga class, so they're also quite intense. And I was like, "Oh my god!" I think you experienced it the other day when you went for a massage. It was like how much stuff you're holding on to until you actually get into the body and you're able to let it go. And I think too is like unless you're really consciously working on these practices that release that. It's also humans have I realize a tremendous capacity for pain and to also that's why a lot of people kind of get stuck in their lives even though they're miserable and they're just kind of numb because they're in pain but they have a tremendous capacity to get used to that pain as well and that just becomes their new normal. So until you actually feel this freedom and relief for moments, brief moments because it always returns I feel, but you don't really realize how much pain that you're in. So so like I mean maybe we can get more into this esoteric aspects but are there people out there who you think just are not meant to suffer in their lives and they're totally have it easy um and these aren't enlightened people by the way but just normal people yeah i'm not sure about not meant to suffer but mm, the elephant in the living room psychopaths right and we're talking about genetic psychopaths i have written a whole article about it. there's a lot of research out there that there exist a type of quote-unquote human, actually it's based on, on recent research, it makes up 8% of humanity of people who are born genetically without a conscience, not based on childhood wounding or trauma, but literally have no conscience, yeah. no, no ability to feel any emotions of compassion, empathy, regret, you know, all of that, no love, no nothing. So they, um, you know, you have to have conscience is is a necessary ingredient to actually dive deep, to feel, to have empathy, to feel others' pain, to feel your own pain. So they're really uh, so. I mean, they're empty shells in that sense, not truly human, but they appear as human, look as human. I mean, they have a perfectly crafted mask of sanity, and they actually also learn to emulate emotions in order to uh, manipulate others. Mm. In our going back to our society, a lot of you know, a lot of these psychopaths, which by the way. I, um, psychopaths can have a high high IQ, and they're not necessarily the serial killer you know we hear about or Hollywood type film psychopaths, but they gravitate towards uh, positions of power. They can be politicians, CEOs, you know, can even be um, prolific spiritual leaders and whatnot. But they, um, you know, hide behind this mask of of, of sanity. They're like wolf in sheep's clothing. And they don't experience, you know, this suffering, this which they actually consider a weakness. That's what they see in other people when they suffer and and are weak and whatnot. And that's what um, they then take advantage of, so to speak, by manipulating that, by feeding off of other people's suffering, actually. Yeah, and then even a higher percentage as we live in a society that rewards sociopathic behavior, like especially in the business world, like you're not supposed to get your emotions involved and not supposed to feel compassion for others. It's very cutthroat. And you can succeed by by acting in this way. So even if people aren't completely psychopathic, which I feel is very hard to even even people who are like kind of born sociopathic are very hard to to uh to heal essentially pretty much impossible arguably but then there's also people who may also have like you know like a, a soul or a spirit underneath there but they've adapted so many sociopathic tendencies which create these buffers and also narcissism can create these buffers so there's even if you're not like fully like a psychopath or a sociopath you can still have these narcissistic and sociopathic tendencies which keep you from actually feeling suffering because if you're going to, once you start feeling the suffering, the soul has to come forward and has to come front and also recognize, you know, some, maybe some aspects of itself that it doesn't want to look at as well. So I feel like for the most part, like anyone who's has felt into their heart also feels like this tenderness of pain of being in this world. And that's also a really important element of being able to demonstrate true compassion and empathy is to be able to feel what other people are going through because you have that open and tender vulnerability. So, yeah. well, that reminds me again, it goes back to Christian Moody's quote about there's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. And as you just said, what we live in a world where pathology has become normalized right 
narcissists have become role models, so to speak. And that's what people think that they need to do as well. And they um, buffer themselves up. And as you said, with regards to compassion, empathy, or even what I shared with my process, I was feeling this emotion in, or in my body. I want to also say it's, I was not always able to do that and not everybody may, a lot of people, even if as much as they want, have a trouble accessing their emotional self mm -hmm. because there's so much in their head. So the key is also to get into your body in a conscious way because the, you know, through body-mind practices and all of that, through receiving body work, right? To relax, to, again, because everything is stored in our body, right? And the ancient yogis also obviously understood the body-mind connection and developed the physical asana yoga practice to relax the muscles because it relaxes the mind to get the nervous system into parasympathetic nervous system you know into a relaxed state and that's when also the body intelligence kicks in you know the soul comes to the front and helps to reveal everything that needs to come up and be healed and transmuted in order to anchor to the divine in order to raise truly to a higher frequency so to speak Yeah, and that whole like fight or flight response, like it's actually a response we have towards pain as well. So whenever we feel pain, it's like natural. It's like you burn your hand on the stove, like automatically you're going to want to take your hand off of it. And not to say that you should burn your hand on the stove just to endure suffering, but it's it's an automatic and natural reaction. But it's also learning to be kind of a true spiritual warrior and be like, I'm going to feel this and have it come up. And what you said just reminded me too, Because I've had, med I've done meditations where I'm just focusing on the heart, the psychic center and the soul. And for at least like 30 minutes <clears throat> into the meditation, I would feel just numb and nothing. And then all of a sudden just feel really intense pain. And like, I, I basically had to give it that much presence in order to bring it forward because who knows what kind of armor and and kind of protection I had up before I was able to access it. So I think what people kind of mistake as like a piece is just really their armor covering things up. Because what I've also noticed too more and more is I thought that through my own spiritual practice, like I not not so much now, but I had this illusion, like Adya Shanti says, I was like, I thought I would get more comfortable and like everything would be bliss. But what actually happened is I started becoming more sensitive and feeling more pain. And I think that's like the true role of like the bodhisattva is to be in the world and feel this like tenderness and still being able to act beyond that vulnerability and fear and use that as a way to be of service to others. Yeah, it reminds me of, yeah, speaking of Adya Shanti has paraphrasing his quote, but he says, especially nowadays, everybody is woke as fuck, so to speak. And, you know, everybody wants a waking awaken and like he said a lot of people talk they want to be want to awaken but what they're really saying is that they would just want to be happy in their dream life right and make the personality happy and actually avoid the true process of awakening and like he said as well enlightenment is actually a destructive process it reveals and that's what i know it reveals everything that is not that is not aligned with truth and regarding truth of your being your divine being and it shines a merciless light into everything that you have been avoiding, we have been lying to yourself. And the key ingredient and all ingredient in this process is radical self-responsibility. Because what I've also noticed in my own path, people start on that journey, especially at the beginning, more unconscious level, we easily fall into the victim or blame trap. So whenever we feel shit coming up or something happens in our lives, we tend to blame others or situations for our state of being. Or we fall into what I've done in into into victim into self pity, right? Self pity, self blame, and self, taking self responsibility. By the way, does not imply does not imply that you blame yourself either, mm -hmm. right? That's very important because that's I've done this a lot in my past and sometimes still slip into it because I'm not awakened. <laughs> um, triggers like some ancient like, guilt and shame, right? When I like. It becomes get get lost in the in these emotions, you know. And, and I think a key ingredient in 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 this process is to feel these emotions, but not identify with them. Mm. That's very important. Not that you are not the sadness, you are not the pain, you are not the guilt, the shame, the anger, whatever. But still, not not um, push it all away and deny it. Just feel it, but not identify with it. 
That reminds me too, because through my own meditation practice, what would happen? Because initially I find the the reaction. So if you're feeling any emotion that's uncomfortable, like sadness or anger, there's this human impulse to be like, this is because that happened. And you create this whole story in your mind because that's the impulse to want to put that pain somewhere outside of you so you don't have to become responsible responsible for it. And I noticed because through my own meditation practice, my thoughts started uh kind of disintegrating not to say I don't have thoughts anymore obviously but like I just started having less of those stories going on in my head and what would happen is when I felt suffering it would just be this visceral feeling like all of a sudden I would feel this way and I wouldn't grasp for a story to attach to it or some sort of distraction I would just have to feel and be present with this and then it actually almost heightened the feeling as well because I find even the story that we want to attach to it can lessen the pain that becomes a way of blaming and distraction when just feeling it coming up because I realized more and more especially at some moments too like really when I was in like some really I guess uh, more intense moments in my journey I remember just feeling like immense pain in my whole body and I realized what I was actually tuning into was almost just the suffering of the world like the essence of what it means to be human like it's it's really I mean I feel like it's just an uncomfortable situation because like when you're truly aligned with your soul which is really infinite but you're also stuck in this mortal experience and you're stuck in this constant change and you there's so many basic elements of life which have suffering woven into them and yet we live in this world that tries to deny them and avoid them so we're caught in this just grand illusion in that way. Yeah that that reminds me also with regards to what you just mentioned, I can see this in myself, how the mind is a trickster and wants to give a reason right away to anything. And I've fallen many times in the trap, which I call analysis paralysis. <laughs> you know, like the mind trying to find exactly like some cause or reason this is happening because of this or that. Or, you know, we both use astrology, it can be a helpful tool, but it can also be used to buffer things up, to avoid certain feelings, to just rationalize them, right? To blame transits or you know aspects and whatnot or you can even you know go to childhood wounding and what happened with your parents because non-parents were perfect we all are wounded to varying degrees right and i think it's it can be useful as a tool using the intellect in some level but um, you can easily get caught up because so much comes into the equation the mind cannot possibly understand because it can, you know, again, can be related to something past life, karmic, mm. something working itself out. Then what you mentioned, a big aspect, especially in this day and age, during what we call the time of transition, this bigger, quote unquote, awakening is happening and more and more is revealing itself. And a lot of people are struggling and suffering, you know, that I've noticed it more and more in my life. And I know you as well, that we literally sometimes pick up the suffering of the collective of other people. you sometimes surround yourself. And it's really important to discern what is yours and what is not yours, especially so-called empaths, which is a word that has been very hyped and overused in this day and age, I feel, mm -hmm. but some people are just more sensitive, right? Um, but it, you know, it's also take, you know, it's not about using that as an excuse either oh, I'm an empath, I'm so sensitive, mm -hmm. right? Which I've done definitely myself and then isolate ourselves. Uh, but being able to stand your ground to shield yourself, you know, to stay grounded, to stay in body, most importantly, right? And, um, you know, through, through a consistent spiritual practice, especially meditation, to tap more into your true self, to bring the soul to the front and being able to separate what is not, what is yours and what is not yours, right? And that also ties into more, which we go in, I think, more in depth. We'll get into the second hour of this podcast into occult interferences, occult hostile forces, entity interferences, the whole hyperdimensional matrix and thought injections that need to be actually rejected and mm -hmm. not integrated. And that's, you read this in every esoteric teaching, especially with Sri Aurobindo and his integral yoga teaching talks about, you know, there are things that need to be integrated, but certain aspects need to be rejected as not part of our nature. And this rejection doesn't mean to suppress things either. And um, most people ask, so how do you, how, how are you able to make the difference? Well, that really depends on your level of being, on your spiritual development and being able to, you know, fuse the mind and body and really connect more to your true self within.
Yeah. And also like on a simplistic level, if someone is blaming you for how you're feel for how they're feeling, that's always not going to be yours to take on. Like it, and that and that will happen especially with people who are not on like a a growth path, I guess you could say. But that's the automatic condition of the world is like, and even like, you know, like you and I, like we still fall into those patterns in our relationship, like learning how to take self-responsibility. Like, yes, we can affect each other as well. But like trying to blame the other person for what we're internally experiencing is not going to help us, I think, essentially. Yeah. And and that just reminds me of one quote, too. Sorry, just to get into it. Uh, the com- So it's from Shinsen Young, who's a Zen teacher, I believe. Don't quote me on that, though. And it's, compassion is to share the pain without sharing the suffering. So I feel like pain and suffering are two different things. And I noticed, especially when I started uh, working more with like understanding the concept of boundaries, like energetic boundaries and our own boundaries that we create in ourselves and have the ability to say no, is that um, like, so when I was in the world before I would send somebody what somebody was feeling, and then I would almost take personal responsibility for it. And I would start taking on their suffering. And I would think that that was helping them. But now it's since I started really understanding boundaries and how they work, it's to be able to identify how they're feeling, and then also maintain my own connection within and my own steadiness within so I can actually truly help them. Yeah, yeah and that um also reminds me going back to the general topic of suffering, you know, and a lot of people as is suffering necessary. Do we actually, you know, would be the initial question of this podcast. And as I came to realize, you know, in my own um, evolution or life path, that suffering was a catalyst to start seeking truth, to start working on myself, right. To find deeper meaning within myself, to question everything, you know, my own life, my own beliefs, my thoughts, question everything I've been told and taught. And that's almost the paradox, the irony, the equation, because ca- suffering was it's almost necessary as a catalyst to start the path. But the path, you know, we engage in the path so we can finally transmute, transcend suffering, so we don't suffer, mm-hmm. right? That's the ultimate, the enlightenment, like to transcend duality, right? To become whole, right? To self-realize, so to speak. And you see, you know, I don't know one person who has embarked on this path who has not suffered. Mostly that's the whole purpose of suffering in the sense, right? To ask deeper questions. And most people, you know, like everything has a certain, it's an initiation, so to speak, rather than a big mistake we made, right? And if you look at it from a more holistic sense, all the, the suffering or, you know, in the past, the, the love bad relationships I've been into or whatever hardship I've been through have been actually deeper initiations, from a spiritual shamanic perspective rather than, oh, I fucked up, I did this wrong or somebody hurt me and I'm poor me and all of this. But it was, a you know, there's a deeper, deeper lesson behind that. And it also reminds me of something the mother said, the mother being a Sri Aurobindo's partner, when the student asked her, what is the purpose of something? Why do we have to, why do we have to suffer? And she uh, answered something very profound. She said, basically, I'm paraphrasing, uh, that suffering is the only force which can awaken matter out of its inertia, mm-hmm. right? It's part of the awakening process, this friction, right, to uh, crumble. And like it ties into many other um, quotes by, by spiritual masters, by Rumi, like, you know, you have to break your heart until it opens yeah. and things like that, you know, and the only way out is through, right, to make the darkness conscious. Again, Carl Jung's famous quote, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. Yeah, and now I have a completely different perspective. I think that, you know, normally when people see people going through like a major death or car accident or one of those really uh, humbling life moments, they kind of express sympathy, like poor you, like, and they don't really know how to how to take it for the most part the the i think the general response is like sympathy being like oh poor you and now it's funny like when i when i see people who are going through like especially i I remember one of these sharing circles at the ego village i'm living at uh, some woman was like going through like a death of her both of her parents a divorce like losing her home and all i could think because of what i had gone through is like oh my god you are so ripe for a spiritual awakening right now and also being able to see it as a blessing because i know that like 
a lot of people, I think, are kind of just drifting along in their comfort. And it's only those moments which I feel like are handed to you by fate, which wake you up. So that kind of like low level comfort that people get used to when they're just getting distracted or they're avoiding their lives, like they, a lot of them actually aren't experiencing suffering, but all of us at some point of our lives are going to be completely humbled by either losing a parent or someone that's really close to us. Car accidents are a really normal one, major threatening illnesses. All these things are things that are natural processes of life, which bring, which actually make us ripe for a spiritual awakening. Yeah. And uh, that also reminds me of, um, you know, like, because we're so caught in our ego consciousness and our mind, you know, when something bad happened, we're so involved, the emotions come up, it can be very overwhelming, it can make any sense, the fight and flight kicks in, you know, you freak out, you panic, your life is falling apart and all of that. But there's some, you know, what I've noticed, there's a saying, you can only connect the dots when looking back. When I look at all my experiences, the quote unquote good or bad from my ego consciousness, because only our ego consciousness divides, oh, this was a good experience, it was a bad experience, right? But there's an unseen, um, how can I say, path like that has been also laid out from my higher self, from the divine, I don't know. And these experiences were almost also like orchestrated in terms of, with regards to divine grace, but tough grace, right? That arrears a lot of this life shattering experiences like you just described uh, from this person or in my own life actually in that moment were horrible bad negative and sometimes drove me almost to suicide but where a major wake-up call was like a necessary step to for something much better i wasn't aware of at this point at that point back then yeah, and that actually kind of maybe you can lead us into another topic, which sort of reminds me too, like we've gone through some intense experiences in our relationship and they've been very painful, but I've realized every time it happens, we just strengthen and deepen our love because we're able to go through that together. And it's really like, it's, it's not only I feel when you go through suffering, do you strengthen the connection to your soul? But when you go through suffering with another person, you strengthen your connection to them. So maybe we can also just touch on how uh, I feel like a lot of people, I mean, this is also the conditioning of our world where it's like, oh, all of a sudden, I'm gonna it's a codependent relationship. You're going to meet your partner and there's going to be this happiness and security and comfort. But I remember this tope by, quote by Eckhart Tolle, relationships are not here to make you happy. They're here to make you conscious. So how do you feel that relationships can be a catalyst for our own healing by introducing more suffering to our lives? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, though, I probably disagree because... You know, I'm very happy in our relationship, but definitely it has brought up a lot, especially as at the beginning. I mean, from the get-go, we had like, not all, you know, every relationship is different and, you know, that's a whole podcast on its own about relationships, but it's also about the X factor that you have this compatibility on a deeper level. Like the saying, like from the little prince, true love is not looking to each other's eyes, but in the same direction, right? And it, both partners need to be really committed to the growth in the relationship, right? If one person is not and the other one is, it's unfortunately, that's, it's doomed to fail at some point, right? Mm. Um, but also having, you know, already done a certain amount of self-work on your own to be able to spot your triggers, right? To take self-responsibility, to be able to hold space, what you said before, to show compassion, empathy. And sometimes it's not easy when stuff comes up in, in intimate relationships as it has not been easy with us. But each time um, when these difficult things came up, which by the way, I also realized uh, some of a lot of the stuff I've done so much work on myself. I've spent a lot of time single and secluded and just working on myself, but I also realized I had hit a wall and a lot of the stuff that most of the stuff that comes up between you and I, I wouldn't have come up on my own, but needed to come up. Right, that's really the true meaning of a conscious relationship to use it as a catalyst for alchemical transmutation and reveal what's been hidden, you know, the shadow and whatnot. You can interpret it in that way. But as you said, when you're really able to feel yourself through it without the blame game, without blame, defend, attack, and all of that, right, and own it and feel yourself through it and feel let these difficult emotions come up, which sometimes related mostly to. PTSD from past relationships, which we then project into the present, 
or childhood wounding or, or cold interference, which again, we'll get into a bit later. But as you mentioned, even like the process I mentioned before, when I f feel into my heart and feel the tension and feel the pain, feel the sadness, the loneliness and just cry, even our relationship, we've both have cried, but the more we have processed that, that in a conscious way without making with self-responsibility and without blaming the other person, it truly has strengthened our relationship. It really has created even more love, more depth. And I realized the more I was uh, going, you know, into the underworld, into the pain, into the suffering, the more I was able to ascend to a higher level. And even within our relationship, the more we committed to that process and working through these um, difficult emotions, the stronger our love bond became on, on, you know, it's like it's endless, so to speak. It just grow stronger and stronger onto higher levels. Mm. Yeah, and I remember this moment is when we first met. I we were just like in bed together and I started crying because I realized like there's a touch of tender there's a touch of sadness to all joy, especially when like I knew I had spent so much time alone at this moment would pass as well. So it's almost like joy and the joy and suffering go hand in hand or the joy and the pain go hand in hand. Because I feel like when you truly understand the impermeance of life, I know it's cliche, but it's true. Everything's constantly changing. And if you truly love someone, you also have to recognize that one day you're going to lose them or they're going to lose you or whatever. Like there's going to be a suffering attached to it and just recognizing in the moment, not like, you know, like doing sometimes as I do where I'm like, one day you're going to die, but also just accepting that, you know, and then also you use that in every moment to be more appreciative and more grateful for the connection you have while you have it, because you know that it's not going to last forever. And then that helps you also not take things in your life for granted in your relationships or in your life in general. Yeah, and really in a true evolutionary relationship or conscious relationship, people really need to deprogram themselves and let go of any notion of Hollywood romance, which is most often mistaken as love, right? Because stuff will come up, there will be conflict, and it depends also on the level of being, depends on the purpose of the relationship, depends what this uh, two people are here to do, right? There are many different levels, and it's without judgment of what level of love people can access, based on the level of being, based on their soul integration, right? So, you know, archetypally speaking or generally speaking, everybody wants to feel love, be in love, be with the perfect partner, have their dream wife, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, their twin flame, right? But, you know, that ties into, you know, all these, excuse me, nonsense topics of, you know, what a conscious man should be acting and, you know, a conscious woman and all of that. And it's almost this entitlement expectation when, in fact, you can only attract that who you truly are and have already integrated within yourself, right? Which also ties into the alchemical marriage of the inner male and female, how you have unified these polarities within yourself, which will be reflected like your relationships literally are a gauge for where you are at. They act as a mirror. Yeah, it also reminds me, I think, especially in hoping that a relationship will somehow make us happy. And at that point, it's happily ever after and everything is fine. It reminds me of this quote uh, from Pema Chodron about, and the Tibetan Buddhists actually have a word where they combine hope and fear, and they see hope and fear as being two sides of the same coin. So... The quote uh, is, as long as we're addicted to hope, we feel that we can tone our experience down or liven it up or change it somehow, and we continue to suffer a lot. In a non-theistic state of mind, abandoning hope is, is an affirmation, the beginning of the beginning. You could even put abandoned hope on your refrigerator door instead of more conventional aspirations like every day in every way I'm getting better and better. We hold on to hope and it robs us of the present moment. If hope and fear are two different sides of the same coin, so are hopelessness and confidence. If we're willing to give up hope that insecurity and pain can be exterminated, then we can have the courage to relax with the groundlessness of our situation. When we talk about hopelessness and death, we're talking about facing facts, no escapism. Giving up hope is encouragement to stick with yourself, not to run away, to return to the bare bones, no matter what's going on. If we totally experience hopelessness, giving up the hope of alternatives to the present moment, we can have a joyful relationship with our lives and, and an honest, direct relationship that no longer ignores the reality of impermeance and death. And that also reminds me... Um, just touching back um, maybe on just a topic of this 
loneliness you feel on the path and the sadness that you continue to feel. And I've heard this from many different teachings is like the, the Bodhisattva, you know, the person who's really here to bring, be of service to the world and with an open heart is constantly in this place of tenderness and vulnerability and on the verge of tears almost. And I've also realized that there's essential loneliness that came along with it. I realized I could either kind of just be stuck in this socially conditioned way of relating to people and these false personalities and or I could move beyond that. And the more that I felt I worked on myself, the more lonely I got because like no one at a certain point, it was like I had become so like present and with my own emotions that most of the like nobody was able to do that for me. And then it also led me to the experience. I realized that like, I'll never truly understand what you're going through. Like I can have empathy and compassion and kind of see it and feel it, but I'll never truly understand what you're going through. So maybe you can also talk about like, I know that you've written an article about that as well, about how loneliness is this essential ingredient for taking the spiritual path. Yeah, loneliness on the path has its higher function or purpose, similar suffering in the sense, because the lesson of loneliness is also to develop um, solitude, to be okay when you're alone, when you're in solitude with no one around, if you don't distract yourself, you don't use others uh, trying to use, uh, fill a hole in your life, right? You don't depend on others for your happiness and whatnot, right? It's more the whole, you know, it's, it's, it's an archetypal normal process of the awakening process. You hear about it in any esoteric teaching. Once you have crossed the threshold, so to speak, there's no turning back, right? Mm. You cannot see what you have, un you cannot unsee what you have seen, right? You cannot go back to your old self and you cannot go back, you know, you take the red or blue, blue pill. Once you take the red pill, <laughs> Matrix movie, you know, that's it. And you have to, in any esoteric teaching said you have to keep going, right? Mm. And there's no turning back. Otherwise, you will just, you know, suffer even more. So that loneliness has also its function because it helps you to extract yourself from even relationships, uh, um, situations or life circumstances that were not good for you to begin with. So people fall onto your lives naturally. You cannot relate to them and that's fine. It has its function. And the worst you can do, which we maybe all do is trying to convince others, right? Trying to convince, especially, you know, you know, in a relationship, somebody wakes up, the other person doesn't wake up, and then they want to change the person. They have the hope, like you just alluded to, that she or he will also change in the future. And that can, that's usually a trap. Mm -hmm. The whole the whole hope bit you talked, uh, you just quoted, um, and the danger of hope makes a lot of sense when you even use it uh, in in the in the matrix, so to speak, in the political spectrum. There's a reason Obama used hope you can believe in. Mm -hmm. It's very manipulative of this something future will happen and everything will be okay. Yeah. Right? Avoidance the present and the all you know, like Sam Krishnamurti talked about an ideal is just an escapism, right? You're not dealing with what is. So loneliness in my path really helped me now it for you know, I spent moved here in Topanga spent many years, almost a decade by myself, reading, studying, you know, in nature. And it helped me to actually provided the time to dive deeper into my own process and dealing with this uh, feeling of loneliness and confronting it. And that, you know, forced me to really um, find the ultimate connection of God, the divine. What is God? What is divine? What is my true self? To go deep inside. And then, you know, there are experiences I'm sure you can relate to when you pierce through it and feel actually um, this interconnectedness of all that is, that there's actually no separation, right? And it's not this state stays forever. You know, it's not in the sense of I'm not enlightened in any, by any shape or form, but you can sense more the interrelatedness, right? That you're truly not alone ever. And this loneliness is just an illusion, but you may, you know, understand it intellectually, but not experience it. But it, but it has its purpose. But even like you just said, you know, even in our relationship, we are so connected and, you know, like, you know, it's really hard to connect to people in general. We are like best friends, lovers, brothers and sisters at the same time. You know, there's this un amazing unseen connection. And we have even a very strong psychic connection. We feel each other very, 
you know, we cannot hide anything from each other, so to speak. But still, this is your experience. This is my experience. And sometimes I like uh, experience this existential loneliness. Sometimes it just comes up and mm -hmm. it's nothing to do because you did anything wrong. It's just, it's just there, right? It just drags me down again, right? Into the descent, right? And just to clear up whatever needs to be cleared up. Yeah, I also, that reminds me too, is whenever I went through my most intense experiences of just like visceral suffering, like really feeling it and not, not attached to any story, but just like, it was almost like, it's like almost felt like a heart attack sometime because of how painful it was. I remember these moments and I don't know if it was just because of the contrast or the relief, but that's when I would be like riding my bike and nature and I would just feel so connected to everything. It's like almost like I'd be like my heart had broken wide open. And it also just reminds me of this quote about the, the warrior attitude also being extremely sensitive. So maybe you can just close it off with this. Um, the situations of fear that exist in our lives provide us with stepping stones to step over our fear. On the other side of cowardice is bravery. If we step over properly, we can cross the boundary from being cowardly to being brave. We may not discover bravery, bravery right away. Oops, sorry. We may not discover bravery right away. Instead, we may find a shaky tenderness beyond our fear. We are still quivering and shaking, but there is a tenderness rather than bewilderment. Tenderness contains an element of sadness, as we have discussed. It is not the sadness of feeling sorry for yourself or feeling deprived, but it is an actual situation of fullness. You feel so full and rich as if you are about to shed tears. Your eyes are full of tears, and the moment you blink, the tears will spill out of your eyes and roll down your cheeks. In order to be a good warrior, one has to feel this sad and tender heart. A person who does not feel alone and sad cannot be a warrior at all. The warrior is sensitive to every aspect of phenomena, sight, smell, sound, feelings. He appreciates everything that goes on in his world, as an artist does. Her experience is full and extremely vivid. The rustling of leaves and the sounds of raindrops on his coat are very loud. Occasional butterflies flying around her may almost be almost unbearable because she is so sensitive. Because of this sensitivity, the warrior can then go further in developing this his discipline. She begins to learn the meaning of renunciation. In the ordinary sense, renunciation is often connected with aestheticism. You give up the sense pleasures of the world and embrace an austere spiritual life in order to understand the higher meaning of existence. In the Shambhala context, renunciation is quite different. What the warrior renounces is anything in his experience is a barrier between himself and others. In other words, renunciation is making yourself available, more gentle, and open to others. Any hesitation about opening yourself to others is removed. For the sake of others, you remove your, you renounce your privacy. And that's from Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. So, yeah. Would you like any final thoughts on suffering? <laughs> A lot to be said. Uh, we're going to go deeper into all of this more into the second hour uh, of this podcast, which is only available for members via my website, veilofreality.com. There's also a membership forum where we can all discuss these topics more. And then the second hour, we want to go more into what I alluded uh, to before, also into occult hostile forces, interferences, entity attachments, implants, and all of that, which can also result in suffering. But, you know, the, these kind of aspects need to be identified and rejected and not integrated from a psychological perspective. Because on that note, we also talk about the limitations of psycholo psychological work alone. And I think we also should talk about the, the sunlit path, right? You know, what I call about like this necessary inner work, but then it's also uh, you know, what I call, you know, we need to pull out the weeds, but also let's not forget to smell the flowers on the path, so to speak, which is about, you know, um, you know, I think you talked about this, the, uh, read me a quote about the, the great Eastern sun. Yeah. The great Eastern sun. We could definitely go more into that. And it's just also, that's really about appreciating the basic goodness of the world, meaning not being like, I do this because I'm a good person, but being able to appreciate these moments in nature where it's just like, wow, this is a beautiful experience to be alive. And just being able to see that fundamentally, like, even though we're experiencing these feelings of pain and suffering, there is like a basic goodness in the world, which we can just focus on. And then that is kind of our experience of presence and relief of 
this crazy experience of being human. <laughs> exactly. Or some of us may not be human, which also I feel I want to <laughs> get into the second topic in terms of loneliness, the topic of wanderers with star seeds. And I've written an article about that, you know, Bodhisattvas, people yeah. came here with a mission profile and yeah. don't fit in. Well, by the way, actually, I, I was reading today this book on Buddha, his life retold, and it talks about the incarnations before he became Siddhartha. And actually, there's a very interesting moment where it, I don't know where he got this information from. Who knows? He could have just made it up. But I think he got it from a compilation of texts. But this moment where, uh, like, uh, who was meant to be Siddhartha Buddha, he's like deciding to incarnate in the world at a certain time, at a certain moment, because he has a certain mission. And it reminded me so much of this wanderous concept. So maybe we can go into more depth about that. Definitely. All of that in the second hour. Again, for the members, you can sign up, Veil of Reality dot com see you on the other side 